1: with host Martin Popoff, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin.
2: All right. Welcome back once again. Martin Popoff here with another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. Check out all our. A vast uh, array of uh, wise music swamis over there. All these music-themed podcast shows. A lot of great uh, content over there. All right, this is episode 240. I'm calling this producer Chris Tangerides, or Sangarides. That's always a hard one to pronounce, isn't it? But anyways, you've always liked. um, You know, I get a lot of good comments on the other producer shows I've done, which uh, include, uh, well, I guess this is all of them. Martin Birch, Tom Werman... Uh, Mutt Lang, and Rick Rubin. Wow, so we had four uh, other ones. Might do a Bob Rock, uh, not sure, but this is the one that I get asked for the most, so I thought uh, it was uh, high time that I knocked this one off. Uh, Love Chris. Uh, Unfortunately, we lost him uh, January 6th, 2018, at the young age of 61. Uh, Interviewed him a bunch of times over the years. He was always very helpful. Uh, You know, a lot of good content that he... uh, he gave me, uh, is in my Thin Lizzy books, it's in my Judas Priest books, probably in my new wave of British heavy metal uh, timeline with quotes books, uh, what else? Um, yeah, we we uh, interviewed him for Metal Evolution when we did that series, he's always very helpful, had good things to say, uh, super nice guy. Uh, but yes uh, he is a producer that's done a lot of things um, I guess the, the cool thing is and we're gonna get into this with track one but uh, his very first job as sound engineer was on the amazing uh, sad wings of destiny album from 1976 we'll get into that a little more but then he moved on uh, there was a lot of new wave of British heavy metal he stayed involved uh, he was a guitarist as well so he actually played with more uh, the great Moore band uh, a little bit in later years but no Oh, he was basically a producer all through this through this time uh, probably His biggest, most prolific thing was his work with uh, Gary Moore, but uh, more on that in a bit. Uh, I've broken this into a little bit of categories. I just wanted to uh, celebrate the guy. Um, You know, I wouldn't say uh, I'm going to give you a quote here uh, where he talks about his sound a little bit, but I don't know if I agree with him very much. I don't think I don't think he particularly has a a a particular sound, but it sounds like there's something he was going for. Anyways, let's uh, let's get into this and we'll discuss a little more. Take a listen. This this is. Judas Priest with Victim of Changes
0: What's up blew it i i All
2: right uh, the cool thing about uh, me doing that list where now I've got the songs in them, I can go through and see what I've played. And I've played a lot of songs from Sad Wings of Destiny before uh, over time, but, uh, but not Victim of Changes. So there's a good little snippet of that from, uh, from late in the sequence. Um, so this is what Chris said one time when I asked him. He says, my sound is big, loud, heavy and clear. I like to think that every band I work with, we get an individual sound for them. So there he is sort of contradicting that a little bit. And, and he's right. Um, he does get an individual sound for them. There is no trend really uh, with these productions. Um, but fundamentally, we still hear me through it, but not to the point of distracting from the band. The whole point of everything is that the production should be invisible. That's an in- interesting comment too. So he's not really putting his stamp on it. He's saying that it's invisible. He's wanting to get a big sound. He does mention the guitars, of course, but you should hear the band and say uh, the band sounds great. And then you find out what's gone, uh, what's gone on, and who's done it, etc. Lips from Anvil is a good example. He says to me he knows when uh, when I've done something because the guitars have this roar to it. There you go. He says. Um, so yeah, Sad Wings of Destiny, um, I asked him a lot of cool things about this, uh, this over time, but but one um, one question I asked him, because again, I'm dealing with this, I've just talked to some of the Judas Priest guys, and I'm going to be talking to Rob Halford again all about the new album, uh, Invincible Shield, which is awesome. Um, but uh, but one of the things that, that people kind of get upset with the priest guys about is they can't articulate why uh, they were so genius uh, at the time with these things. You know, I've said this about Queen, uh, you know, and Judas Priest essentially, um, and nobody else as, as being this genius thing. So I, I said, uh, any sort of inspiration from physical graffiti at the time? And Chris says, oh, that was me. That was my favorite of all time, and I would try and replicate everything I heard if we were going to do some kind of overdub. Oh, I wanted to sound like Physical Graffiti. That's why the ambient sounds and heavy-duty stuff developed for me because that was sort of the benchmark. Okay, so he's not really re- relating it to Priest. Uh, and what are some of the high-production points on that album, Sad Wing? So, so remember, um, and he goes into it here a little bit, and and you know, um, you know, with goodwill, uh, te- you know, credits who gets credit? But but I know he's a big part of the production this album. Um, what are some of the high production points on that album, Sad Wings? I imagine the beginning of Ripper. He says, I mean, yeah, uh, ooh, crikey. To do, to do those effects that are on Ripper were just insane, just to get the vocals delay to spin out of the speaker. Uh, you're in for a surprise. You're in for a shock, shock, shock. That was left, right, left, right. Well, there's no digital uh, back then. We had to use separate multi-tracking, feeding back on each track, panning it. There were like eight tracks used just to get the vocal effect. Ridiculous, but you did it. Slowing down the cymbals to make them sound like gongs because we didn't have a gong, all sorts of stuff. It was we would put uh, bits of what we had to try make something that was you know I got this idea how do we do it Um, Jeffrey Calvert and Max West's role because they're listed as producers they were brought in originally they were engineers from Morgan that's the other thing I uh, forgot to mention here Uh, so he, he kind of got his start, it says in, in wiki here, when Morgan Studios 3 and 4 were acquired by Zomba Management in 1980 and rechristened Battery Studios, Sangaridis was hired by the new owners as part of a team of in-house producers, which included Robert John Mutt-Lang, Martin Birch, Tony Platt, and Nigel Green. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, they were engineers from Morgan, a very hard choice at first because they had been successful uh, with typically tropical... Um, Gull Records. Uh, so he goes on. Um, well, Jeffrey, as it happens, was a really good engineer. So that was that. He didn't have much to say with any, but we did a really splendid job doing it. Um, so so then I asked him who should get the production credit on the record. I think the production credit should go to the engineers and the band together. It was, you know, them having some ideas, uh, engineers having some ideas. So there it is in a nutshell. Um, Dave Charles. Uh, He says Dave did some backing tracks at Rockfield, uh, and that was it. But yeah, an amazing, amazing production for 1976, and, and Chris had a lot to do with it. There's a lot of cool effects going on. The arrangements are excellent. Great bass, great treble. So I think he starts off on an amazing footing here. You know, frankly, it's probably... You know, going all through the entire catalog, it's probably the coolest thing he ever worked on. It was kind of his first, uh, getting getting a foot in the door. But like I say, you really got to give him credit because I think he's a big part of that production. All right, let's take a short break. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon.
0: Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
2: All right, back again here on History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, episode 240. Producer Chris Sangarides. Take a listen to this and we shall discuss. This is Thin Lizzy with Angel of Death.
0: His body was riddled with a disease unknown
1: to man, so he expected no cure But before he died,
2: all right so the category here is chris had a lot to do with the thin Lizzy family uh this was a well i'm going to read this to you first because this was an interesting situation renegade tell me that switch over between you and kit so kit wolven was involved taken out of the production of that record but then what uh then did you add to it well i was supposed to be doing another band that was on the same management called wild horses with brian robertson and jimmy Bain, and then they wanted uh to do the us to do this and it all fell to pieces and their management said look we're not going to do that but phil has asked if you would come and work on the Thin Lizzy album. I said, sure, that would be fantastic. Oh, here, okay, here we go. And I'd known Phil from working with him on solo projects and on Gary's Back on the Streets record. So I arrived, and nobody had told Kit, unfortunately. It was quite a sort of awkward couple of days until he realized what was going on. So I didn't think much of that at the time, and I still don't. But there you go. But basically, they'd kind of lost the plot. You weren't sure of the songs that they were doing, whether it should have been for Phil's solo album or should have been for a Thin Lizzy album or whatever. So it's not a very defined area. And we recorded a few new tunes, which were the heavier ones, like Pressure Will Blow and Angel of Death, um, and all of that, and it's kind of ironic that I did the new one from scratch, but there you go, and then, you know, finished off the next, or whatever, it was kind of the time, I don't know, uh, it's not, this is interesting, it's not rock, it's not metal, some of it, some of it is, what the hell is that, and unfortunately, when you make albums, I find generally, they have to be generally focused on one side or the other, otherwise the diehard hard fans uh, don't know uh, what they're listening to, uh, and that was the case with that on reflection now when i hear it i think it's bloody brilliant so uh yeah and it's my favorite thin lizzy album but uh the category here so um his his biggest thing is uh so chris worked on back on the streets g4s dirty fingers back to the blues so he's working with gary later on fortunately unfortunately he didn't work on the big album still got the blues that was ian taylor and i think ian did another one or two there um but yeah, he's on uh, Dark Days in Paradise, various live albums, Power of the Blues, Scars, all all that, all that sort of stuff, right? Um, and then so Thin Lizzy, as he says, he comes in for Renegade, and then he's there for Thunder and Lightning, which is this band's Black Sabbath, Born Again, right? It's that really harsh recording. So that's a really sort of uh, anomaly in the in the Chris Canon, uh, because it's such a harsh, crazy recording. But he he is responsible for that one, and of course he was responsible for bringing John. Sykes into the band, Um, and he also did Life Live uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, that was Angel of Death, November 81, off of the Great Renegade album. Take a listen to this. This is our third selection Tigers of Pantang with Slave to Freedom. okay so this is off the amazing amazing wildcat debut love this album when it came out such a magical time seeing that in the racks with that tiger face on it illustrated july 1980 so we're right in the main year of uh the new wave of british heavy metal uh chris uh so yeah with this he gets a very vibrant guitar-y exciting aggressive sound uh the band is pretty loose and trashy trashy you've got jess cox up there on vocals right um But he also worked on Money First Investment. That's one that uh, not a lot of people uh, know about. Not a great album. Uh, But the other big one is uh, Spellbound uh, by Tigers of Painting. You know I've talked about this as the middle of the New Wave of British Heavy Metal, uh, you know, the hub of the the New Wave of British Heavy Metal uh, bike wheel. Uh, because it's such a, an absolutely mean, median, average, New Wave British heavy metal album. But of course, it's got a guitarist on there uh, named John Sykes, and uh, John Sykes gets pulled into Thin Lizzy, and Chris and John kind of work together as the two new guys uh, in Thin Lizzy on Thunder and Lightning. Um, Chris also worked on Rock Goddess, uh, Hell Hath No Fury, Uh, rock goddesses like the baby girl school right so it's the other girl band of the new wave of british heavy metal cool band uh he worked on a girl sheer greed uh with nick Tauber. um now that is a really interesting album so it's a it's a predecessor to glam it's part of the new wave of british heavy metal but it's a little bit too uh you know poppy and mainstream of course phil collin uh goes from this band over into def leppard Becomes a big famous rock star, uh, but you know credit to Girl on on this album. It's a beautiful, beautiful sounding album. It's a it's a really really good high fidelity album. So uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, he uh, uh, Chris also worked with Girl School on Screaming Blue Murder uh although there's a it's a partial uh he's he's on three of those Ni- Nigel Gray is on that as well uh sledgehammer blood on their hands that's a cool uh, new wave of british heavy, heavy metal obscurity they're kind of like a cross between tank and hawkwind uh i find they're uh, they're really kind of rough speaking of rough we have got spider rough justice spider is the baby status quo right the famous uh you know how there's Vardis. You know, uh, basically Vardis and Spider are the two baby status quos that we get or status quo, as they say, um, in, uh, the new wave of British heavy metal. And then we've got Mama's Boys, uh, again, a very clean, powerful production, but, uh, kind of expensive pounding, uh, sounding, um, uh, We've got the uh, self-titled debut, Mama's Boys and Power and the Passion. Uh, the McManus Brothers, right? Um, so yeah, he gets a good sound for them. But yeah, if you look at all of these new wave of British heavy metal things, uh, it's kind of all over the board. We've got various types of sounds, not particularly big albums in this. Uh, but yeah, there's some some cool stuff there. All right, let's move on to our fourth selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Lords of the New Church with Kiss of Death. <laughs>
0: All
2: right, so our category here. Uh, is non-metal uh this is lords of the new church 1984 um you know chris also worked on Comsat angels this is a partial seven-day weekend uh he was in there with concrete blonde fairly famous band bloodletting walking in london uh killing joke brighter than a thousand suns although that's a that's a partial as well um the Broken uh, "Brokenhearted Bride," dancing uh, to the devil's beat, uh, plus David Cousins' albums as well. Uh, New Model Army, which is a little bit like Lords of the New Church, right? So, so we're talking about this uh, this sort of uh, slightly hardcore, slightly post punk, uh, kind of a hard rocking, uh, you know, futuristic, punky sort of thing. Um, so yeah uh the carnival album uh there so that kind of lines up Uh, and a weird anomaly that i'd call non-metal is gillen toolbox it's not really a gillen album it's an ian gillen album you've heard my story about that sitting in a hotel room with ian and looking at this and going "Huh, wait this always bothered us that this was a gillen album he looks at it and goes oh i didn't notice that you know that it basically on the cover says uh says gillen um uh what was that naked Th- Anyways, one or one or both of these. Uh, this is what happened uh, uh, in in uh, in this story. I mean, we spent our lives thinking it was a Gillen album. Yeah, it is this one. Yeah, uh, thinking it was a Gillen album, and and he's like, oh, I thought it was an Ian Gillen album, kind of thing. Uh, a really weird one. Uh, and a big seller for Chris he worked on The Tragically Hips fully completely this is a this is that big massive cult Canadian band uh, that did huge huge business in Canada was playing you know arenas um, for a lot of their time but this album went Diamond in Canada uh, so Diamond uh, is so Platinum in Canada is is 100,000 because we're one tenth the population of the states uh, and Diamond is a million copies so uh, just in Canada, he sold enough that uh, they sold enough to have a platinum album. Uh, in the States, which is pretty, pretty incredible. And they have tons and tons of other multi, multi multi-platinum albums and stuff in Canada. Yeah. Sadly, we lost Gord Downey, the front man of this band. There's a whole documentary uh, on the insane, crazy last tour he did. He had, he had a brain tumor and uh, he went across Canada. They had this long set list and yeah, you could see a whole doc on this. It's a, it's a really moving thing. Prime Minister Trudeau showed up uh, at the concert in Kingston. Kingston was their hometown, but yeah, so it's, it's really, weird that chris is doing uh this record that's a real anomaly back to the lords of the new church for a second so i always loved these guys or wanted to love them more than i did put it that way i love the concept of them that crazy name of the band the first album was just like this i think it's gold type on a plain black background um then they had the isn't is Nothing's sacred, nothing is sacred, uh, whatever it's called, the second one. But this one uh, is, is kind of interesting. So uh, just read a little bit here. Uh, in 85, singer Steve Baiters spoke on the album's musical direction. So this is the one Chris produced, uh, Method to Our Madness. Uh, when we first got together, it was a nice mixture of our different personalities. We didn't know what we were supposed to sound like, so we more or less discovered ourselves. On the second album, we discovered various different styles we could do, but not in a unified direction. Now we have finally settled in a direction. So... This album is actually, I feel like there is a stamp of Chris the Metalhead on this album. Uh, so I think he's bringing his metal sensibilities here because it's a it's a big guitar So back to what he said about if he has a sound, he likes guitars. Uh, it is a big guitar-y, uh, you know, nice sort of a higher mid-range drums on it as well. So it's a little more of a hard rock uh, production on it. Um, Let's see. Initially, the band uh, felt very stimulated, playing together, writing and recording together. The first two uh, self-produced albums went really, really well, according to guitarist Brian James. I love Brian James, too. Of course, legendary damn guitarist. But Method Our Madness was more of a struggle. Furthermore, the band's record company, IRS, wanted to use an outside producer because the band was losing uh, its dynamic a bit. Um, said James in 2007. So that's kind of cool. So the idea was Chris was brought in to to kind of rescue this band from themselves, from being self-produced. And, uh, and it turned out to be a semi-popular album. Um, it might be my favorite, although maybe you feel like that post-punk integrity a little more with the first two. Um, I think people might le- lean to the first one as the best one. Ira Robbins of Trouser Press described the album as a cross between the Stooges' Raw Power and Billy Idol's Rebel Yell. That's actually quite accurate. Uh, He called it the band's least distinctive but most popular sounding record. So that's kind of cool. but yeah, um, I thought that was cool. Um, you know, the, the wiki mentions, I didn't check these ones out, but I mean, the wiki mentions, and I don't think these are these are fulls, but uh, the Chris worked also, you know, keeping it non-metal here. Joan Arma Trading, pop star Tom Jones, uh, Jan Hammer, um, and remix the song Never Let Me Down Again by New Wave uh, band Depeche Mode for release as a single. So yeah, there's a lot of bits and pieces kind of all over the place. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're, we're kind of getting the clear idea of what his main things are. So let's move on to... my. My favorites. Uh, this is my favorite stuff that he did. Take a listen to this. This is Y with Breaking Away. I could be wrong when it seems like the stone just ate there. I'm coming. All right, so um, September 1983. This is the Great Mean Streak album. By the way, buddy of mine, Tim Derling has a Y and T book out now called Down for the Count. It's a panel book. Uh, I participated in it. Pete Parter did as well. But it's it's a panel that goes through all the albums. It's selling well. You can get it on Amazon. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's Tim Derling's Y and T book. Um, and this is uh, this is probably so the Mean Streak album. Y and T, so uh, they they go they go yesterday and today they go struck down they go Earthshaker Black Tiger uh, with Max Norman producing and then Mean Streak, and I think this is the greatest sounding album uh, Chris uh, Sangarides ever worked on. Uh, the The sound is absolutely gorgeous. It's conservative, um, but it's just got beautiful beautiful drum sounds and then half of that work is done by the magnificent leonard hayes anyways uh but the guitar sound everything sounds really good on here chris gets a great guitar sound uh but but you know interestingly enough um i've always found it amusing that it sounds fairly uh like like a fair bit like black tiger even though that's max norman who's another big famous important producer ozzy osbourne right um but yeah, I think this is uh this is Chris's uh crowning glory as a producer. Uh, other ones that are super, you know, that he's famous for is Judas Priest Painkiller. That's a beautiful beautiful sounding album. Uh it's probably his biggest triumph as a uh well well no i i see the tragically hip i think that's more down to tragically hip but this one i think chris had a lot to do with painkiller you know bringing priest back obviously it would all fall apart again but they they got a gold record out of this people love that album especially younger priest fans they think it's close to their fit you know the best album they ever did uh but the sound on it is amazing it's super powerful and exciting and uh and trebly and bass and you know he works with scott travis on that um but yeah he basically um you know brings priest back to making this pure super heavy exciting uh, metal album like i say that goes gold um he did exodus exodus force of habit a lot of people look down on that album but i think it sounds magnificent like i say this category is my favorite sounding albums and and again um you know that's one where they think you know the, the band's moving a little bit too far away from thrash, but it is a beautiful, beautiful, huge sounding record. Uh, and then the other ones I really like that he did are um, Metal on Metal and Forged in Fire for Anvil. Those are two absolute heavy metal classics. They sound great, super powerful, exciting. Uh, like he said in that quote about lips, they get a beautiful guitar sound. Rob Reiner's drums are just pounding on here as well. The cymbals sound great. Uh, so yeah, 82 and 83, two absolute classics of that connective tissue idea of speed metal right um so this is uh this is like better than new wave of british heavy metal but it's not as futuristic as kill them all and on and on into thrash sort of thing. So a great, great albums. Um, I, I love the energy on these. And a lot of that comes down to Chris, Chris, uh, some honorable mentions. So just some dribs and drabs of other things Chris did over the years that we should thank him for. Uh, he's a partial producer on King diamond conspiracy, uh, UFO, a conspiracy of stars. There's that word again, but I remember interviewing him. That was probably the last time I interviewed him. Um, I believe I talked to him for that album. He's a partial producer on Black Sabbath, the eternal idol just had a big argument fest with my private email industry uh, group all about, um, the Tony Martin years. And I think we all came to consensus that the eternal idol is actually the best of those years. Um, Chris worked uh, with Angve Malmsteen on Facing the Animal, Inspiration, Magnum Opus, uh, Angra, Fireworks, "Girl School, Guilty of Sin. So he's returning with Girl's School uh, later in life. Anthem, a few albums, including Heavy Metal Anthem. Uh, Halloween, Pink Bubbles Go Ape. Uh, you know, that's the one with the silly title, the weird cover. Um but it's actually a really good album. Um, people were a little annoyed at them. It's a little off the wall, but it's a, it's a good, solid album. Um, we've also got Bruce Dickinson, Tattooed Millionaire. So Bruce knew the value of Chris and brought him in to do his very first solo album. Pretty cool. Uh, Anvil, this is 13, so he comes back with Anvil later on. Uh, here's an amusing one. Anybody remember the band Fort Knox? I always think of Fort Knox and Vendetta together as, as just these weird sort of standalone only albums, I think. Um, but yeah, this was just a weird heavy metal uh, album that went nowhere from early days. Speaking of going nowhere, Slave Raider as well, uh, and Tiger Tales. He worked on, you know, one of the, one of the one of the British bands that was trying to be part of the hair metal thing, and it uh, and it never really worked. So, uh, so there you go. That's the great Chris sangaridis I wanted to mention as well. Um, just uh, I always uh, run out of time for this, but we've got enough time. The last episode was. Uh, uh 239 biggest heavy metal stars i wanted to mention some comments from the facebook page um let's see uh gm white writes the rating system on this one is tricky because famous usually means most known and not one uh no one on this episode's list is more recognizable than ozzy yeah when i did that episode i was wondering where do i put ozzy on this but everybody's telling me i've basically got him kind of too low even a kid who's into metal might not know Who Angus Young is without his schoolboy outfit on. An extreme metal fan might not know who Bruce Dickinson is if he's not on stage with Maiden, but everyone who has minimal awareness of popular culture knows who Ozzy is when they see him. They might not know his albums or album titles uh, or that he was in Sabbath, but they know his name. Even Post Malone fans, there's a lot of non-rock metal people could identify Ozzy. James, probably not. uh, you know, Jamie, yeah, um, Hetfield, he's referring to there. Dave Grohl has reaffir- reaffirmed his metal cred with his Dream Widow project album, possibly the legitimate number two. He says, question mark, side note, best. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Craig Morehouse says my 80 year old parents know who Ozzy is. There wouldn't be anyone else. Uh, they would know. Maybe Gene Simmons, he says. Uh, blaze barshaw says um, both had tv reality shows which at least doubled their name recognition with the non-music folks awesome blaze that's a that's a great point Um, uh, then Craig answers back sure but my dad knows who Ozzy is Ozzy is because he's the guy who bit the head off a bat right (laughs) let's see Jason Toom says, I love listening to Martin, but rarely agree 100%. I think Ozzy is easily the most famous metal star in the world, partly because of the Osbournes television show. Joe Becht, a great supporter of the show, good buddy. Uh, He's on our Contrarians panels quite a bit too. He says, just listen, is this your list, our list, the general public, the average person on the street knows Gene Simmons, Ozzy, Alice Cooper, and Slash, but doesn't have a clue who Bruce Dickinson or Rob Halford are. I was wearing a t-shirt with Angus on it, and everyone at the party I was at asked if it was Mick Jagger. Nevertheless, this was another fun episode. Uh, and he says, and another thing, Brian Johnson lives down here, and no one notices him when he's out in public. Pretty funny. Um let's see Uh, Andrew Theo says I think it's just the fact that the US at least no one has much knowledge of classic rock stars as they do fake pop stars especially here by Disney World you always have famous rock stars visiting with their families and no one has a clue except the few heavy rock fans uh, that legitimately follow their music John P Folkers uh, writes uh, hard to argue with list I would add Zach Wilde to the tier two list he's connected to Hugh Jackson he's toured incessantly with one band or another King Diamond is still up there since he still tours regularly perhaps tier two Tobias Forge uh, is one on the rise he's making ghost of big arena band whether you listen to it is not cool uh, lead singer comes to mind absolutely that's a great one as well Mick Phelan great supporter of the show always has good ideas says yes great episode you could have delivered three episodes a song for each of the 15 it's hard to argue with people here maybe it's nothing to do with music but every human knows who Ozzy is James Hetfield just a great job being in the spotlight speaking honestly about his flaws without letting the fame machine eat him up and define him it's interesting how the Lemmy legend grows more and more with time I hope these people calling him a legend will check out Motorhead's albums and give love to the music awesome Mick. thank you for that Jonathan Jordan writes a great episode about how sad uh, all of them are in their 60s and 70s. Think only Slash is still in his 50s. Come on, Rock World, let's start building some new bands and stars. By the way, Dave Grohl, he's as heavy as Axel or Steven Tyler, much of Kiss. That's a great point. Um, you know, Foo Fighters, as time goes on, you know, we, we think it's poppy, but it's just as heavy as that old 70s stuff, right? Um and uh let's see, uh Martin Olson writes, Dave Grohl is fifty five, young by most standards. Uh they they talk back. Yeah, he's pretty close. Where would you put him? Uh oh, that's me talking. So there you go. Um so there's some nice uh nice input uh to the last episode about the biggest uh heavy metal stars. If you like this episode or, or the show and wanna support future episodes, please go to Kofi.com slash Martin Popoff, hit that red support button, buy me a coffee or a pint. This week I would like to thank Joe Beck. Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, Michael Gendelman, Tony Hicks, Carl Isaacson, Monty Olsen, Augustine Garcia De Paredes, Philip Edward Phyllis, Steve Polari, Dan Rosenson, and John Stuckey. Um, you know I write a bunch of rock books, 120 of them apparently, and um, the latest ones are, you can get The Kiss, you can get The New... Um, the Pink Floyd, I got more Who in. For some reason, The Who keeps selling my Quadrophenia book. I had to order more. Uh, but the big one is The Perfect Water, The Rebel Imaginos. That one's doing well. That's the follow-up fl- to Flaming Telepath. That is a complete weird, crazy conspiracy theory, occult weirdness, Imaginos lyrics kind of thing. Very proud of it. It's probably the coolest thing I've ever done, in my opinion. Uh, and all of that is at Martin Popoff dot com Um, yeah I will leave you some homework go listen to that first Tigers of Pantang album
0: find all of our shows notes social and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts all songs can be found for purchase on iTunes Spotify or Google Play please purchase these great and important tracks Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at rnrarchaeology. Archeology. Tweet us at rnrarchaeology. Archeology. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat?
2: Would they shop? Would they shop?
0: Would you kill?
2: I'm
0: right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz You don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.